Greetings from the Long Island Sound podcast. Welcome to the show. Please rate, review, and comment on the show. And call our listener line and leave a message for our guests. Dial 631-800-3579. All right, enjoy the show. Thanks for joining us for the Long Island Sound podcast. Each week we explore new music and dive deeper with the artists and their stories behind the music. Please subscribe and rate and review us wherever you stream this podcast. Here's your host, Steve Yusko. I want you to meet Blake Sandberg of Aliens. This is the first time I really got into the punk genre. He has a fantastic backstory, some great music. We'll hear three of his songs. I think you'll be as intrigued as I was with the conversation. Let's have a listen to Leave Luck to Heaven.
The challenges in life can be a bump in the road or an unexpected detour. Today's guest is back with a pulsating beat and a sonic explosion. After a long hiatus, aliens are back. You know, genre categories are too confining, and I'll let the audience be the judge. His raw emotion and driving force music just might be the remedy I think I need. Blake Sandberg is the driving force behind Aliens. It's time to wake up, strap on your headphones, and get ready for a ride. As I welcome Blake Sandberg of Aliens to the Long Island Sound Podcast. Hey, Blake, great to have you here, man. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Sure, sure. So I write a little, so that's why I do these flowery yeah. introductions. But uh, I'm really excited. No, and that was great. Little, uh, <laughs> I have a little bit of intrepidation. And I'll just tell you a quick story because I'm talking to my wife, you know, and she's like, you haven't, you haven't, uh, and here's a genre, a, a, a post-punk guy? What, what's it going to be like? You know, did you, did you listen to his lyrics? You know, is it going to be bad? I'm like, wait a second, that's the wrong picture here, you know? But I, I just, I want to give you my impressions. I listen to all my guests' music, and it's just sure. some, it's, a kick-ass comes to mind, you know? It's, it, it brought some sort of emotion, uh, at least to me, you know, and I'm picturing myself, when would I listen to Aliens? And I had certain times in my mind uh, where, I, I mean, it would be a remedy for me to get certain emotions out. So uh, that was my my first impression of your stuff. So thanks thanks for doing your art. So um, That's cool. Anyway, I'm blabbing you. So where am I, where am I reaching you? Are you in Brooklyn right now? Yeah, so I'm, I'm at home in Brooklyn and... Uh, and um, just uh, reaching each other to the magic of the internet. <laughs> I, have, I have a lot of Brooklyn roots. My father was from Greenpoint, so uh, oh, cool. Uh, from back, back, back in the day. Yeah. So originally, uh, I read your bio. You're originally from Austin. So give me some back history uh, as far as how music touched you and how you got into music. And I really want to talk about art too, because you're you're an artist. So let's explore it all. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so I was born in Austin, Texas, and uh, uh, I've always been interested in art and music. Um, I, uh, I'm a total music addict. I listen to music all the time, um, and, uh, and I'm very into visual art as, as well as make visual art, but uh, I, I go to um, galleries and museums when I can, and, uh, and I have for, uh, since I was a kid. And um, and I, I always wanted to move to New York. I, I don't really know why. I don't know where that idea really came from. But uh, you know, in mm -hmm. in America, I think a lot of people interested in art and music they tend to either want to go to New York or, or Los Angeles. Um, um, mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know. I, I was always uh, just drawn to New York, and I really wanted to move here, and I, and I eventually did, and uh, moved here in the uh, uh, mid late nineties. And into the East Village, and uh, got to experience mm -hmm. sort of the the tail end of the um, whatever um, I, I don't See? know that <laughs> yeah I got to experience some amazing things and uh, and I really enjoyed like uh, every bit of it like uh, I just I love this city and and despite everything uh, being more difficult now these days in in, in many ways. Um, I, I still love living here and, 
obviously now, as uh, we just mentioned, I live in Brooklyn now, and uh, and I have since uh, 2009, and um, and you know it's it's still New York City, so <laughs> um, yeah. For it, for those for those who don't know, everyone thinks Manhattan's the center of the world. It's really Brooklyn. Okay, for 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 those of us <laughs> in the know, Greenpoint and Williamsburg, and and uh, there's a lot of. Uh, uh, youth and, and excitement and, and stuff going on in the street. A lot of art too. I mean, I was in Long Island City uh, not long ago, and it, it's a section of Queens that's right next to Brooklyn. For those who don't know, that's absolutely changed um, in the past twenty years. You know, uh, Long Island City used to be really the hub of manufacturing and garment work, and they said you could find anything was made in Long Island City. And now, um, and now it's become more residential uh, in a way. A lot of high rises and what have you. It's kind of like an extension of Manhattan, I would think. Yeah, that that's really the thing. Like, there's all these different neighborhoods that are really um, that have really changed, and everything keeps expanding and pushing on uh, things that were or areas that were known for industry or uh, what have you. I was in Gowanus for quite a while, and. Uh, mm-hmm. Had a studio there that was in a in at the time it was a very you know sort of manufacturing area and it's been wild to see it change uh, so fast really um, and uh, <laughs> um, part of me living in Brooklyn as I, I mean obviously I left Manhattan and then and then numerous times I've had to move in in Brooklyn to sort of escape the changing. Uh, um, Territory, I suppose. Right, right. So let me ask you this, because I'm really curious about, I mean, New York's my backyard, and, and you know, you almost forget how great, and I really love New York, how great New York it is. And it's, I call it the land of a thousand neighborhoods. It really is. You walk two blocks and it's a different, it's a different oh, yeah. neighborhood. How, how old were you when, you when you left Austin to come to New York and was that really difficult for you to do, or was it a natural drawing, you know, that drew you here? Um, well, I was definitely drawn here, and actually, um, I think I was twenty, um, and uh, and I, I, I mean, I, I had a uh, beat up old. Uh, like a Jeep kind of car. And I, I sold that and, mm-hmm. and I rented a U-Haul, put my stuff in it. And I, I was very uh, direct and I guess like this is what I was going to do. Uh, I did come up and mm-hmm. uh, I spent uh, maybe seven days here. I flew up and like stayed on a friend's couch that uh, he he lived here. And, uh, and I explored everything and um, – just I loved the city. I didn't want to leave then. Um, I wanted to just stay. Right. Uh, but I went back and got my stuff together, and and uh, and I and I drove up and uh, I stopped in Memphis and uh, and went to Sun Studios. Of course, right. Okay. And and, and, and drove by Graceland. I didn't have time to like go in. I just saw it. You know, made a U turn. I was driving a, a, a U haul, um, and. Um, and uh, yeah, and so I drove up, and uh, at the time, U-Haul was doing this uh, one-way trip uh, deal where if you drove, um, uh, you would get a a storage space for two months free wherever if you did a one-way trip. 
So I took them up on that, used the storage for two months to keep my stuff there, and I, I knew I had two months to find a place. And right before the two months was up, I took a space in the East Village, and, and that was my first studio and first home here. So, All right, so you were ready that at that point were producing art and opening a, stu- a studio at, at 2021? Uh, yeah, I, uh, I mean, okay. I, I, I was serious about it, you know, and... Um, and then after moving here and um, getting involved in the art world and doing a few shows and stuff, uh, I think probably in um, maybe the second year I was here or something like that, a friend of mine gave me a guitar and an amp. And uh, it, was, it okay. was like, to me, it was a huge gift. It was like something incredible that, you know, that just doesn't happen every day. And... Um, Right. And so that was sort of like gave me a mission. Like I, I always knew I could play guitar and I, I would always play guitar. In fact, this guitar that she gave me was in her, it was in the corner of her apartment and she would throw these parties to have okay. like, um, uh, help feed all of her broke artist friends. Right. And, um, <laughs> okay. And so anyway, one night I would go, every time I was there, I would go sit in the corner, plug in the guitar and like play it kind of quietly and, and uh, just really get into it. And uh, one night, uh, I didn't know it, but I was like the last person there. And she came over and was like, you know, it's time to go. And so I'm like putting the guitar away <laughs> and everything. And she said, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm putting putting the guitar away. She's like, no, no, I never play that guitar. It's yours. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to see it again unless you're like, you're like playing it somewhere or something. And I was like, wow, okay. So, and that was on, it was kind of a a wild, it was kind of, it was just an incredible gift, you know, it's like, that doesn't happen every day. So, uh, I I took it and the amp and walked from uh, Elizabeth Street back to Avenue B and uh, plugged it in, played it all night. The next day, uh, called a friend of mine, he came and showed me how to tune it and uh, we went and bought some new strings and he helped me like tune it up and uh, showed me a couple of chords and he was just like, that's really all you need to know. And then I just went, you know, <laughs> it, gave, it gave me something to do when I wasn't painting, which I didn't know what to do with myself when I wasn't painting. You know? <laughs> right, right. I got right. into a little bit of but trouble. It's, it, it's, <laughs> it's really, <laughs> oh, we can get into that for sure. Um, <laughs> well, what's interesting is, it, and I started, uh, in my, my 20s, too, but it was too damn hard for me, and, and I put it down for 10 years and then came back to it, you know. Um, but I read a story, too, about uh, your grandfather's resonator guitar. So you had some early influences in your life to music in Austin. Why don't you explore that for us? Because I, I find that yeah. I find it an Austin okay. guy in yeah. New York City, well, a very um, interesting subject. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, well, there, there's more of us now. Like, that's the funny thing. Over the past few years, you know, it's like uh, you run into more people from Texas here and things like that. Um, and um, actually, uh, uh, my new bass player, who's been with us for a year, he's from Texas. So it's it's kind of uh, okay, kind of ironic. But anyway, to to what you were asking. Um, so yes, uh, my as a kid, the way I was. I mean, I listened to music on the radio and, and everything else, uh, like everyone everyone else. Um, but my grandfather mm-hmm. had guitars, and I would stay with them fairly often. And uh, and he would play play songs, you know, f- 
for himself, but to entertain, you know, the, the grandkids sometimes or whatever. And, um, and I, I loved hearing it and I loved looking at it. And, uh, when they would go to sleep, I would just grab the guitar and just strum it like over and over again, like not even trying to play chords. I didn't right. know how, uh, I just, 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 that was enough just to hear it, it resonate, you know? And, um, and, yeah. uh, years later, um, my uncle and my dad, uh, sort of conspired in an amazing way to surprise me with the guitar as a gift, uh, that it was like oh, nice. mine now. And that was incredible. And, um, so yeah, I have my grandfather's guitar and I, and I do play it. Um, and, uh, I'm hoping at some point to do like maybe an album or, or, you know, record some songs with it. I haven't really had it that long. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, oh, okay. but it is, and actually the, the neck had warped and they were like, you know, you, you're going to have to fix mm -hmm. it. Well, in a, in a kind of amazing way, like I put, took the old strings off it, put new strings on it and kind of set it down and, and would try to play it every once in a while and it wouldn't tune right. So I ordered new tuners mm -hmm. for it. And then the next time I came back to it, putting the new strings on it had, had put enough tension on the neck that it actually straightened the neck right back, back out. It was unbelievable. I didn't have to do wow. anything. So it was kind of incredible. And it, it has, uh, it has, uh, my grandfather's, you know, it has, there are worn places in the frets that are very deep from where his fingers were. So it's pretty wow. cool. It's like a direct connection sort of thing. It's, it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's amazing having it and it sounds amazing. And, uh, and of course those guitars are really special because, they were sort of the first amplification, um, and, right, uh, sure, and, it, sure. and it really does work. It can, it, it, even though it's just an acoustic guitar, it's very loud with like the the metal pan. It can kick it can, ass a little bit, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, <laughs> what was I going to say? Um, and yeah, so it's it's just amazing to have it and uh, and to be able to play it. And uh, I, you know, I'd love to play, record some songs with it at some point, and I'm sure that that'll happen. Um, it seemed like there was something. Oh, the other thing is that we, well, I learned that I, I didn't know this, but when I was given the guitar, it was kind of like uh, something that uh, that I didn't know about my grandfather. He he died when I was, I think, thirteen. So I didn't really, you know, get. Mm. I I mean, I knew him and everything, but as an adult, I didn't really get to interact with him, which is unfortunate. Um, but getting this guitar was an amazing thing, and then there was also. Um, uh, something that was news to me, which was that as a a younger man, he actually played on the radio in Austin. Um, and I don't know what name he played under, but he, he did play songs. I don't think they were original songs. I think they were probably like standard covers, covers and things like that. But um, and there's no recordings that we know. Of, so um, but, it, you know, oh, man. It, it's cool to. It's a, a very cool link, you know, like a. Um, yeah, absolutely. That's, uh, a, that's a great story. Uh, let's take a quick okay. break. And when we get back, I really want to explore, because um, I, I talk about a hiatus that you had an unintentional hiatus, my assumption, um, yeah. right at 9-11. So I'd like, to I'd like to talk about that. And then I really want to talk about the song that we led into the program, uh, you know, uh, Leave Luck to Heaven, and uh, kind of chat about that. So let's just take a quick break. Okay. And we'll be back with Blake Sandberg. Stick with us. 
At the Long Island Sound, we're much more than a podcast. We're building a community. Please go to gigdestiny.com. Check out all our social media links. Subscribe wherever you listen to the podcast. Please comment. Call the listener line. Tell us what you think, what questions we should ask, who we should have on the show. And most of all, we thank you for your generous support. And remember, support the artists who are guests on the show. Now back to the podcast. Hey, everybody. We're back with Blake. And we just heard Leave Luck to Heaven. Great song. Uh, I, my blood pressure, I think, went up uh, a few points listening to it. So uh, my age, maybe that's a good thing, a bad thing. I don't know. <laughs> so let's, uh, <laughs> let's explore, um, Blake, uh, your early entry into New York. This is just before 9-11. And uh, I had mentioned in the opening that you took a hiatus uh, from things. So... Kind of tell me about that, because I think it's a pretty hopeful story now that, that you're back, you know? Well, thank you. Um, yeah, no, it's good to be playing music again and, and be able to record and, and play shows. It's amazing. So, um, uh, I guess, um, yeah, so I was in the East Village in the late 90s, and then I was doing pretty well, and in... Uh, the beginning of 2001, I moved to, to lower Manhattan and got a larger mm -hmm. studio where I could work more. It also had room where I had a little music studio in the back as well um, that uh, that I could work in at night and work on my music. So it was a very cool place, and I did a lot of got a lot of work done there. And I enjoyed living down there as well. Uh, it was a different experience in the East Village, like you were saying about these sort of neighborhood microcosms and different feels of mm -hmm. New York City block to block and and I enjoyed uh enjoyed it down there because it was uh you know everything's big and like the buildings are tall and old and and like you know the building I was in was an old factory building and I had other artists neighbors that were really interesting and um a photographer next door that was a friend a very well-known painter, uh, Richard Hamilton was my neighbor and became a good friend. And, um, and it was a great experience and, um, I really enjoyed working and living down there. And, uh, and then, uh, 9-11 happened. Um, and I, I had an art opening a couple of days before that. And my mm. parents and my brother were in town for it. And, we had gotten them rooms in the Millennium Hilton across the street from the World Trade Center. Wow. Which uh, turned out to be not the best place to have picked. But, um, mm -hmm. and my brother flew out that morning and was on a plane headed to Chicago and uh, where he lived. And um, uh, when the second plane hit, my, uh, the, Millennium Hilton security let the let people that wanted to go leave because they weren't letting people leave before that, um, and so they ran to my studio and uh, and woke me up because I I I'd gone to bed like very early in the morning. I, I'm an insomniac and, and don't really sleep that well. So mm -hmm. anyway, and I'd been given a book uh, by my mom earlier that day on uh, September 10th, and. Uh, when I get into a book, I often will just read, if I can, uh, if I have the ability to, I'll just read it all the way through, you know. So anyway, I was like up reading this book, which happened to be about Stevie Ray Vaughan, actually. Um, I still have the book. And hmm. uh, I, re I read the whole book. 
and uh, and then went to sleep. And uh, I was supposed to meet them at a restaurant at noon for for lunch. I was wondering why they were knocking on my door because it was well before noon. Um, and then my neighbor was like, "I think you want to come to the door." And then they were like, "Put on a TV," and and then we ran to the roof to like wow. see and and uh, yeah, and it just got worse and worse. So, um, and then we had to flee after the buildings collapsed. We, I fled with my, with my parents, uh, up Broadway with the dust cloud following us. And, uh, right. and then, yeah. And then, so we got them to, I, well, I got them to a restaurant where I knew, I knew the owner actually. And, uh, and then I started trying to find a hotel room because they needed somewhere to be, you know? So, um, sure. I spent the whole afternoon and evening running all over to every, any, any hotel I could think of. I would run there and see if they had, a, cause you couldn't call, uh, you know, I, I had right. a cell phone. Um, it didn't, you know, it was like not, not, no one's phones were functioning. So, um, and finally at like, I don't know, five or six in the evening, I got, I was looking at all the hotels in union square and, uh, area and um the the manager of the w hotel heard what i was saying to the um person at the desk and came up and said there's one room still available like get make sure he has that room um wow and then i got the room went and got my parents brought them back up and uh and uh so anyway, that that's probably too specific, but that that's the way it went down. No, um, no, you know, you know, having known other people have gone through. And by the way, thank you for sharing. It's a tough story, right? We're getting a call from my brother. was was down there. He was a steam fitter down there, and I was I didn't know where he was working in Manhattan. And he called me. Says I'm all right, and I felt like a tremendous amount of guilt of holy shit. I didn't realize he was right across the street. Wow. Um, and he ran he ran out of Manhattan across uh, the. Yeah. Manhattan Bridge or Brooklyn Bridge. Yeah, people uh, pouring and, over and, all the bridges and, and, and got out of there. Yeah, getting yeah, on boats. You know, and, in hindsight, you, you're you're with your parents, and they knew you were safe. You know? No, that and, and um, yeah, in hindsight, we've definitely talked about that uh, in the past. That uh, it was kind of, in one way, fortunate that they weren't freaking out about where I was. You know, they they were in town and came to me. We were worried about my brother who was in the air, but then. Um, um, he actually, before we left my studio, I, I believe he called us or some, somehow, yeah, I think he had landed, saw what was going on and called us. That's what happened. Um, and he wanted wow. us to know that he had landed. Um, of course the, I don't think any flights from Chicago were involved. So that was, I guess, for, I mean, it's fortunate, but it's hard to say it's fortunate with, uh, everything that happened that day. Yeah, so you had, the, you had complications the thing about dust and people, people that live below Canal Street or whatever, you know, near Ground Zero, uh, you know that it wasn't just. Like, I mean, obviously, it wasn't a one-day thing, but it, it you know, there, it, everything was burning and and smoking and stuff for uh, weeks and weeks, like um, while they cleared everything and before all the fires were put out, of course, and uh, and mm -hmm. so it was like a war zone. It was like living in a totally different environment. Uh, I mean, just behind my studio on church street, they were, uh, piling up the burned out cars and, and fire engines and stuff. I mean, like stacking them, like, uh, I have, I, I don't know. And, and there's just 
dust all over everything and uh, um there was an epa truck right in front of my studio and um mm. and uh and, and you know and then like you're there there's no food you had to go above canal street to get any food so it was a very strange right. i mean most people left like immediately um the neighborhood i i I couldn't really do that. I mean, an expensive studio and, and, um, and it right. was like where I, it was, you know, my place. So, um, I, I did the best I could. I tried to seal up the windows, uh, trash bags and stuff. And, uh, and during part of the time, uh, cause I, I, I knew people, uh, I frequented the nearby hotel, which is now called the Roxy. It was called the Trebecca Grand. And, um, mm-hmm. And I, I knew like the house DJ there and I, I met the manager a bunch of times. I went, went to the bar there and then I would hang out there. And, and if people were interested in paintings, it was like kind of the closest place to like have a meeting mm-hmm. with someone or whatever, and just a good place to hang out. And, um, and so they, they, they knew what was going on. And it, I, I, for, for, I think a, a few days at one point, I, they gave me like a deal on a room or whatever. And, and I was there for like, I don't know, five days or something. And that was really surreal too, because that's where all of the emergency people and the FBI and CIA and, and the, you know, who all kinds of people. And of course there's a national guard all over everywhere just to get back to my place. If I went above canal street, I'd have to show them a piece of mail. Um, in order to do that after (laughs) the first, uh, the, on the 12th, I had to sneak around the national guard and police, thing i mean it was my neighborhood kind of knew how i i figured out a way to do it and i i got into my place got some clothes and uh checked out my place and and, uh got a piece of mail and carried that for you know like the next you know whatever it was like uh you know months um so anyway it was it was like living in a in a totally different world and then you would go very surreal times above canal street and then things would be kind of normal so it was very to like you know the end of the block maybe a little bit further that right you know and without cell phones and tvs and all this stuff the radio whatever um you know we as a human you, you only know about what's right what you can see you know or here right and um and it's not very far and that uh that things can be totally different around that corner or whatever it is and it's like a very when you, I don't know, that was like a really profound thing for me, like to like leave the neighborhood and come back and just be like, my God, you know, it's like, uh, and, and people that didn't do that, didn't realize it It became really kind of strange dealing with people. They'll be like, Oh, Hey, there's a birthday party or whatever. And you're like, nah, I'm not going to be able to make that. Like, um, you know, it, 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 right. And, and I saw crazy, amazing, like people doing, just being like amazing with you. I mean, just the, when everyone was like escaping, like, that, like people just pulled their trucks up onto the, onto the sidewalk and like opened the doors. So, and tuned in the radio real loud so people could tell what was going on. And, and just people like helping wash people off that were like covered in stuff and right. um, dust and debris and, uh, and just people helping each other, you know, just like giving someone or giving I saw people like piling people onto cars and like escaping like that. Like, I mean, it was unbelievable. And it's something you just don't see in the, in this world, like very often, you know, it's like, I mean, we, it makes you realize like how 
privileged we are like oh you know we have trouble deciding like what restaurant to go eat at or whatever it's like <laughs> uh, things can be very different right. very quickly you know the divide with canal street and the different neighborhoods we, we touched on earlier it really in a profound way it ties into the name of your band alien you know where there's a certain alienation that you can you can have between that divide of the impact and the very degrees of impact beyond canal street right uh and and how people handle yeah well i mean i think but that yeah, really you got to see the good side of your nature which is part great. of the name yeah, yeah i mean that's that that is definitely part of it and then like as i got sicker and uh and then started trying this sort of endless waves of different medications to try or whatever a, a lot of medication would make me like really really spaced out and very weird to try right. to like talk to or whatever which i'm pretty weird anyway but um <laughs> but it, it would sort of put me like 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 whoa this is like it puts you in like the stratosphere or whatever and um so uh, one of the things behind the band name is like that um, my friends just started a few of my close friends started calling me alien because uh, i was just you know i was like med heavily medicated um and some of the time right, that was right. really good because i felt so bad that it was like well it's better to feel like this or whatever but in general, it's not really good because it, it t totally takes you out of, it's like almost like out of body experience or something. So anyway, that's in there too. But I also, I just thought it was a good band name. And there wasn't like a really famous yeah. band that had that name. So there we go. <laughs> I was down there shortly afterwards. And I remember seeing a lot of people, you know, now masks are more common with COVID and what have you. I saw a lot of people wearing right. masks and, and, you know, my arrogant self was like, oh, what are they kidding me? What are they worried about? You know, what have you, you know, not realizing that all the fluorescent lights that broke with the mercury and everything else that's in that and the burning and, and really uh, affected yeah. the atmosphere. Uh, maybe they didn't want to panic people, you know, uh, who knows? You know, the truth doesn't always come out immediately. You know? Right. So, yeah. I mean, metal, so, drywall, um, all the electronics component. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, tons of cement. Like, I, it's, yeah, yeah. it's crazy. Um, but yeah, no, I had, uh, um, but yes, I, I got sick. Uh, the first thing I kept having, like, um, I would get, Breathing. um, like nasal and sinus infections and stuff. And, um, mm -hmm. and then that became throat infections and became bronchitis. It, uh, I had mm. pneumonia at least twice, um, and it was getting to where it was like totally uh, debilitating. I mean, like uh, it was really heavy duty bronchitis stuff where I would be, um, you know, struggling to breathe, happy on a nebulizer in the hospital, and and uh, it feels like you know some. Uh, there's like a massive weight like on your chest and, and you can't can barely breathe and and anyone around you is just terrified because you're making like a horrible sound like like um i mean but let me ask you this from an artist's point of view i mean our life stopped right but you're an artist and what you do everything impacts all your experiences impact your art now you're telling me you, you go through this breathing issues sinus issues you're you sing right you're yeah. a singer you're a singer songwriter and and you know how, tell me how that if you know what did that did that just everything stop for a while until you got better? I mean, what's what's your story? How how did you get back well, into 
I mean, the songs you sing are not easy to sing. You know, you're not you're not singing lullabies. You know, right. you're putting it out there. So, like, how, how did you go from this struggle to aliens today and being able to do what you do? Okay, let me try to answer that. I mean, well, first of all, I mean, even the night of nine eleven, I, I I was working. I, I I mean, I was up pretty much the whole night, uh, and and people were able mm-hmm. to start using the phone. I mean, at my girlfriend at the time, I didn't get in touch with her until like, I don't know, seven, eight, nine o'clock at night. So that, that was a worry because she worked in uh, a building down there. And um, uh, so I found out she was okay and we spoke. That was good and put me, I don't know if you would say more at ease, but I mean, for, for her situation, uh, uh, definitely. But, um, you know, everything was, uh, it, it was... It was a a very traumatic and uh, you know long, it was a long experience for me. It wasn't just like the one day or whatever. I guess I don't know. Right. I guess it's not something just turned up. The page. And, uh, right, mm-hmm. right. Uh, it, it changed everything. So, uh, but I, I'm an artist and a musician, and and I guess um, you know immediately I start uh, that night. I made some. Uh, drawings uh, in the hotel, and uh, I, I stayed with my parents. I, I, I you know, I, I couldn't go go back downtown. I didn't really want to be downtown. With the, you know, we ran away from the dust right. cloud for a reason. Um, and right, um, right. So, um, what was I going to say? Like, I guess, you know, uh, the way that it works for me is it, it, you know, comes in and filters back out. So I, I, I made drawings that night and things and. And over the next few weeks, I was working and and writing and drawing and and coming up with things. And once I was back at my studio, uh, I began writing songs that were like intentionally songs, you know, about what was going on. And I wrote mm-hmm. a song about 9-11 called Survivor Story. Um, and uh, the imagery is very much about what was going on at that time and when ground zero was still burning and and I was in my studio and you know you could smell that and uh and uh you know everything had changed sort of overnight um and uh so I was trying to like get that down and process I, I guess make something out of it I, I don't I don't really know if I um well you know what it's I'm going to interrupt you you know what it's it's interesting to me is uh, 9-11 and, and people's lives stop, their livelihood stops. Um, but for an artist, your livelihood, your art, your expression continues, you know? And maybe that's a good thing in that you're able to express yourself. I, I, I didn't go through it, um, so I can't speak for anybody else. I can speak for friends who went through it, and I know the struggles that they went through of where am I going to work? Where am I going to live? I mean, you, you had that as well, but then you had, you have this outlet of expression and um, I'm almost kind of surprised that you were still able to draw. Maybe I'm not surprised, draw and write and, and continue with that. Well, I think it's just how I, you know, I think it's how, when I was a kid, I was like a really quiet kid. And I, I think it's just drawing and making things is just sort of how I, how I deal with stuff. So, uh, um, you know that's not surprising. I write things down and and uh, and draw and paint like all, all the time and and, and uh, play whatever instruments are around I can find and and um, and you know but but after nine eleven I you know I was 
suddenly, you know, I had just had an art show open. Um, nothing was going on. In the whole art world was basically mm. shut down. That was kind of how I was making right. my money at that time. So I think I didn't sell a painting after 9-11 happened for almost a year or something. Like uh, It was something that was like regular that happened all the time, uh, almost like, sure. like literally weekly. Uh, and the economy was booming at that time. It was like a totally different right, world. And suddenly, was... yeah, it just stopped. Um, and so it was, and I was young. I, I didn't, I mean, no one foresaw that, but especially something that catastrophic. Um, but like, you just don't expect, like, uh, you know, think you get used to things the way they are. Like, well, things are the way they are, right? Sure. And you, you, you learn right. from them and you accept them. And then all of a sudden everything changes. It's like different. Um, Let me ask you, how, how, how are you today? Uh, health wise? Are you good? Like, I mean, it's, is, it's is it fragile. Is it, is it difficult <laughs> it, to sing? Yeah. Uh, okay. At some points. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, some some shows are better than others. Uh, it it's weird. If it rains or is humid, uh, it affects my throat mm. and stuff, and uh, and I'll be very raspy, and um, you know, I won't be able to sing as well. When it's a nice, beautiful day or whatever, it's usually more clear. Um, I don't know. It's just something post nine eleven thing. It, it's it's much better now. Like I mean. For literally, like, okay. oh, I would say over a decade, I had so many bizarre symptoms and stuff, and no, nothing was getting treated because wow. no one really understood what was going on. Um, but right. literally, when it rained, I used to throw up every time it rained. And I, I, wow. I, I don't really know why that happened exactly. But uh, anyway, there's like a myriad of, of symptoms and conditions and stuff that go with the nylon stuff, which... I'm now a member of the World Trade Center Health Organization, and we've tried to. Um, I, I'm definitely getting better healthcare than I was before, and I, um, and so that's really great, and that's helped, and sort of resurgence or whatever. It's like, um, but what I was trying to say before is like um, after 9/11, when I was suddenly alone, there was not much going on. Um, you know, there were fires a few blocks below me. It was it was a strange world to be in. So uh, I, you know, I think it naturally went to painting and writing and things. But uh, since I had a guitar, uh, I would sit on the couch and just to take things that, you know, before might have been part of uh, like a, a noise composition or some, something that I was doing. And I would try to simplify certain things that I like and make like chord structures that repeated so I could start to take the words I wrote mm -hmm. and try to put them on top. And uh, and create songs, you know, and, and uh, the Survivor Story, uh, Survivor Story was one of the songs, uh, and committed to wind, which is kind of ironic, I guess, but um, I guess it makes sense. Um, but uh, those were <laughs> two of the earlier songs that you know I was working on in a a reel to reel recorder and a and a tape cassette recorder, and a, and I would like work on the songs, record them, and then rework them, and. And um, that kind of became my process, and um, um, hmm. and there's sort of a weird parallel between like a studio artist and a studio musician. I mean, you kind of work okay. alone in a room, <laughs> uh, you know. There, so there's something, something there. Um, but anyway, but that's what I was doing, uh, and uh, and then eventually, more confident with uh, um, the newer material, I guess, and I and I started to play the songs out when I could. 
um, which was not very frequent at first. Um, but I had a few people that kind mm-hmm. of were like pushing me and, and, and when they heard what I was doing and encouraging and that really, that really helped, um, kind of, uh, you know, to get the confidence to, to, to keep doing it. Uh, and I'll give you my reaction. To me, this gives the underpinning of of great hope um, of going through any struggle uh, and seeing, you know, that you continued. You know, it could have been the end for a lot of things and you continued with it and you had an outlet for it that you were able to express yourself and kind of work through kind of like a, a therapy, I guess I would think. Um, and and sure. it shows in your art, whether it's your paintings or um, or your music. And uh, let me just say this for those who are listening. Uh, I'll have in the chapter marks uh, connections uh, to Blake's uh, artwork uh, and his uh, his website, uh, Aliens New York, uh, so you can get into it. And anybody we speak about, we're going to um, put up some chapter marks about that. But I want to talk about and play the next song, and then we can talk about it when, when you know, we come back from the song. Um, you have this... Uh, song called Tower of Song, Leonard Cohen's song that you do in a quite different manner and it's an <laughs> homage to another man, which we'll we'll talk we'll talk about when uh, we get back. But let's have a listen to Tower of Song and then let's let's talk about that.
We're back. We just heard the Leonard Cohen song Reimagined by Blake Sandberg, Tower of Song. Hey, give give me uh tell me how this how this came about. Because it's it's a now I want to listen to the Leonard Cohen version just to to have a cross-reference. But t- t- yeah. tell me how it came about it and, and, and what it means to you. All right. So um the Leonard Cohen thing, uh, I mean so during COVID, I mean, I knew Leonard Cohen's work to some degree or whatever, but during COVID, uh, you know, it's kind of like what we were just talking about. Like I ended up at home uh, playing guitar and working on stuff, uh, looking out the window and uh, wanting to go, you know, be in the life that we normally have where you could like go to a a bar or a movie or a, a restaurant or whatever. And all that was suddenly gone. And, uh, and I, I don't know, I just was gravitating to some Leonard Cohen at that time. Um, and I really like his album, um, the future as well as I'm your man. And, and uh, uh, you know, he's a great artist. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I heard that song and I just thought like, wow, you know, that it kind of makes sense to me in a different way now. And uh, maybe I could, I could learn that song. And, and so I started messing around with it. And one day I went out to get some food and I came across, uh, you know, people in, uh, I was in Gowanus at that point, but it was like Gowanus Park Slope neighborhood, um, mm-hmm. you know, their, um, sister neighborhoods or whatever, uh, adjoined neighborhoods. And um, I was walking in Park Slope and someone had put, um, the Hank Williams uh, greatest hits double LP out on the step. Like they were giving it away and, uh, uh-huh. and I couldn't believe it. And I, I was like, Oh, well it's, it's going to be all scratched up or something. And, and it was like basically unplayed. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really wow. surprising to me because you could easily sell that or whatever. And, um, and so I was listening to Hank Williams uh, then, you know, something that my grandfather would have listened to or whatever that, uh, you know, I being a, a punk rock kid in, in Austin, Texas or in Texas, um, you know, I wasn't really that into country music uh, when I lived there or whatever, but I, I, I riding around my grandfather and at his house and stuff, I would hear country music and Hank Williams and, and uh, Johnny Cash and stuff like that. And um, anyway, so finding this, this Hank Williams thing was amazing because, Obviously, um, Leonard Cohen uh, was very in- interested and influenced by Hank Williams, and he mentions Hank Williams in the song, Tower of Song. Right. So I was like, well, that's not a sign. I don't know what it is. I guess I've got to try to do this song. <laughs> so I, I really started working on it, and um, and um, 
and basically my version is a, a very sped up to the point of almost no recognition. But that's kind of the way I I, I play my music anyway. It's it's fairly uh, fairly fast usually, um, and uh, sometimes my band have to try to like slow me down if I'm going too fast on stage <laughs> or whatever. So, um, but you know, I, I, right, I there's right. an adrenaline thing to it, um, just an excitement of Absolutely. playing, and, and also just I don't know. I like fast music, I guess. Um, and uh, so I tried to put put that uh, speed and adrenaline thing with with <laughs> Tower of Song, uh, a Leonard Cohen song, to see if I could make it work. And, uh, and I just sort of thought it sounded all right. And uh, so then uh, I ended up, being able to record with Martin BC, who's a, a sound engineer. He has a studio called BC studios in, in Gowanus. It was really uh, three blocks from where I was living. And uh, I didn't even know it was nice. there. A friend of mine before COVID had invited me over to an event that was at his studio to that. I needed to come there and, and I, he wanted to introduce me to this guy and it was a Friday night, and uh, it was later in the evening, and I was at home, and uh, I didn't really want to go. And uh, he mm-hmm. kind of insisted, and uh, so I got it together and went there and met Martin Bisi, um, who recorded Sonic Youth and um, The Swans wow. and Herbie Hancock and and uh, Live Skull and all these bands that I, I really love, and I have these albums, and... Um, and still, every once in a while, I pull out an album, and I'm looking at the liner notes and listening to it, and then Martin B.C. recorded it. So so I met Martin, and then later, uh, during COVID, during the shutdown, um, I'd had a meeting with him before that to talk about maybe recording. But anyway, it all came together, and a drummer friend of mine named George and I decided that we were going to try to do this, and um, we recorded with Martin B.C., and then later, Kevin, uh, I met my bass player, and he came in and did overdubs on the bass. And then during that time, I also met a younger... Miguel and he's now our drummer and and George is um, still a friend and he he's helped uh, doing the uh, the new EP um, and of course recorded drums on Tower Song and we'd love to have him. Uh, Tower Song became an interest and uh, I was working on it and making tapes of it and stuff and it became one of the songs that I picked to work on with George and Martin BC. Um, at first we I, I guess we did three songs and uh, I picked uh, Leave Luck to Heaven and Tower Song as the ones that were ready to go and we finished them off and um and those are the new songs on the, the agoraphonic ep so now this agoraphonic ep is is really a collection of songs that you've done over a number of years all in one ep correct yes that's that's right um so basically what i wanted to do i was trying to just put out the two new songs but it suggested to me that'd be better to do an ep um did i have any extra songs lying around and as it turns out, because of Bandcamp, which I started using, although not very well, <laughs> I started using it years ago. Um, I, I always had a sort of aversion to the well to the digital stuff, and, and I was more interested in like you know the physical things and sure. playing live or whatever and recording. Um, and um, but over the years, uh, there were these different singles that were on Bandcamp. And I thought that you know maybe I could have, could make an EP and kind of catch everyone up and basically take all these singles that are on there and put them with the new singles mm-hmm. and ta da here's a, an EP. Uh, yeah. So so what is going on now is we're, I'm redoing all the distribution um, 
And um, so all the songs are, are, should be up and available digitally as singles. And then I'm grouping them together physically in the Gorefonic EP, which I did just put on the Bandcamp, and you can order. I, I, right now, we did 100 uh, limited edition, like 100 hand-numbered copies. So nice. So I'm kind of starting small again. Um, but all the songs are should be online, and they're on Bandcamp, and um, and they're all you know digital singles. Um, so we combine them physically into the Gorefonic EP, which... Um, the plan would be that this would lead into um, an album. You know, so. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, and more airplanes. Uh, I know. You know, putting putting uh, music out to radio stations, they still want the CD. <laughs> they want the CD sent to them uh, to play. Yeah, uh, it's, it's amazing how you can have all this stuff, but people still want the physical things. Which, which for for me and for what I was just saying is it, it's great cuz i mean i like over here i have a massive record collection which luckily i've been building for years and years and it, and uh, every time i'm in a record store i'm i'm like oh wow i got that record for much less than <laughs> that it is right. now uh, but right. it has been really cool to see people get back into to vinyl something to that, vinyl. that i was into for a long time um and and just music in general and cd's and everything. i mean I, I most musicians i know still have a cd player and still use cds and, and and yeah so definitely with uh within the the business i guess uh cds are still normal um but uh but it was it was really cool to do this and and it, it and have an actual physical thing to to uh be able to show someone and and, and like i said it, in my mind it kind of catches you up because it, it has reflex motor from the head first album and then it has all the singles mm-hmm. from band well most of the singles that i had good studio quality uh recordings of um to put together with the two new songs recorded with martin bc so that was kind of the idea and uh hopefully it will lead into an album which which um kevin and miguel and i have been um you know they've been learning songs and, and we've been playing together for a little over a year now and um and we've done some demos of them and stuff and uh and everything's sounding really good and and they're itching to record and uh and i am as well it's just everything takes takes time and 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 you know even right. this is a little it was you know delayed more than what we wanted but it's just the how it works. yeah now that now that that can't uh covid's over with you know there's that that need to get out and, and play and that's what i'm hearing from other artists and there's a yearning for uh more more new music yeah really um so at the time it could be really right and what's interesting I, you know I was just thinking about all the things that you were saying and the different things that happen in your life the the word that keeps resonating with me is gift you know the gift of of uh, the gal who gave me the guitar uh, uh the gift the gift of your grandfather and that music you know um and and the gift of you having art you know as as an outlet and uh, it's intriguing to me that you're both uh, a visual, uh, physical artist as well as a singer-songwriter. You have that that balance of, of what you do and, and expressing yourself. It's that's rare, you know. Uh, Leonard Cohen, right, drew and, and and wrote songs and stuff, and and was a, a Renaissance man in, in many ways. So the fact that you're working with both sides of your brain on that is is I, I'm impressed by it. I, I really am. And uh, <laughs> 
And you know, here uh, I am talking to a, a punk guy, a punk guy from uh, Austin. Which you know, go figure. There must be like two guys who are into punk in Austin, and you left. Well, <laughs> well, it's not true. There, see, okay. that's one of the things that uh, I got to experience in 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 Texas and in Austin. Uh, um, there, there was actually a really great punk rock scene. You know, starting in the oh yeah, really the late seventies, I guess, and, and and moving all the way up through the nineties, and then some of the uh, important clubs closed or whatever. But uh, there was a great punk rock scene, and and uh, there was a band like the Big Boys, the Dicks, uh, the Butthole Surfers, uh, and then um, Scratch Acid, and and who of course members of Scratch Acid became Jesus Lizard, and and there was like a great scene, but it was it's kind of a little smaller, you know, obviously in, and, and out in Texas and not in New York or Los Angeles where you have mm. like, you know, the germs and, uh, and, uh, um, you know, bands like, uh, black flag and, um, uh, dead Kennedys. And then, you know, the Ramones and, and, and other bands here. And, and, um, so, but you know, you're, you know, you have the magic of the the record stores and, and being able to get, you know, if you're lucky at that point, find these bands that you might have mm -hmm. heard of from a magazine or something. And, and so you get knowledge from that. But then also the, the local scene was, was really cool. Uh, and I was young, so I couldn't really experience a lot of that directly either. I couldn't go to a lot of the shows, but there were some shows that were like all ages or whatever. And, and, but I, I did know from local radio and from, you know, talking and stuff that, uh, um, that some of these bands existed and, and, uh, and I was fortunate enough to see some of the band. And of course, Daniel Johnston, who maybe some people don't consider him a punk artist, but, but he really was. And he was a very, you know, if you want to talk about like DIY punk, I mean, he's, um, you know, very mm -hmm. DIY punk rocker, you know, <laughs> like, and, um, and, you know, doing his own cassettes and, and recording in his garage and, and all that. And, uh, you know, I, I got exposed to him very young. I think I must probably, and I saw him playing. My brother went to the University of Texas, and I would stay with him on the weekends, or or be visiting my grandparents, and or a little bit of both. And um, and I, I saw Daniel on the street, you know, busking um near the McDonald's where he worked, and and right across the street was uh, the Sound Exchange, the uh, record store, that, and they sold his tapes for him. And of course, oh, they wow. had all the cool punk rock stuff, and you know, um, Kozik posters with uh, um, you know, for the Butthole Surfers and. And all these bands and and then of course there was such a there's a great music scene in, in austin and and they all the bands would come through town so um as i got a little bit older i'd be able to go see um bands at uh, liberty lunch there and um uh, flamingo cantina and uh, emos and, and places like that and and uh emos at least still exists and um and there were a bunch of other clubs but um but so i got a sense of the larger american underground music w world or whatever you want to call it and then like the hardcore scene and um and bands like you know fugazi from dc and well, of course minor threat before that and and you know it's like this tape record store lp you know sort of semi-secret world that wasn't what everyone else was listening to on uh uh, top 40 radio or whatever and then and then the, the local radio stations there and like student radio and stuff was, was very cool and and that tends to be like true and in, in all these different college towns and the stuff. Outlet. and 
Yeah. You know, you, you find what you can. And then, and then when I moved to New York, it was like part of my, my thing was to try to like learn about all the punk rock bands that I'd maybe only mm. heard of, but never heard their music here. And you could like find that. And there was like Kim's music and it was open 24 hours a day. And you could go record shopping at four right. in the morning or whatever, after spilling out of a club, it was, I mean, it was just an unbelievable experience. And there was just live music all over the place. And you could, you could see uh, you know, if not the Ramones, you could see members of the Ramones playing. You could see all these different, I, you know, I, before I, at Liberty Lunch, I saw Helmet, I think twice before I moved here. And then I got to see them at like, I think, um, well, at Brownies for sure. And then um, maybe Continental Club or somewhere. Anyway, it doesn't really matter where, but yeah. I, I just, well, you, you know, it was, as I was able listening... to like research some of these things yeah. in like real life or whatever. Well, you know what you just did? You just gave me a shitload of homework. <laughs> to, uh, to, for my chapter notes, as you're rattling off like 1,400 names, I'm like, oh my god, okay, I gotta look this guy up. Okay, yeah. So yeah, I know I, I appreciate the education and my my smarmy my smarmy comment of two guys from Austin who actually listen to punk music. Oh, nice record collection. Oh, yeah. So it, it's like a like a whole wall of the apartment. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, but it, it's just something. <laughs> and then also, I got to experience like uh, when everyone was throwing away their turntables and their records in um, the early 2000s i guess i got to benefit from that because i would you know grab literally handfuls of records people just put outside and, and turntables too which, and scoop them up yeah yeah and i'd find all these turntables and just it would be the band that was broken on or whatever you know or, and you know i had a, and ended up with a bunch of different turntables and uh you'd go to record shops and they'd have all these amazing records for pennies you know so so yeah yeah um now now they're all uh, worth a lot more or whatever but it, it it's cool that it's come back it, it is annoying sometimes when you go to a record shop and you're like oh i really want to get this record but i i can't really afford it anymore but you know but it's it, oh, wow. but i did yeah. I, I was able to make a record or several records and uh it's very cool to see someone get excited and be like wow you have a vinyl record or or whatever, and uh, in the past, it, it's been often kind of like, "Wow, you, you made a vinyl record! Like, why would you make a record?" You know. Yeah, well, I think everybody's been putting them out now for for a while, you know, and it just yeah. it, it's just more and more, and uh, so it's cool. It's like a rebirth, and it, it gives people, you know, something. You know, it, it, I like the sound Some... of records, and the you know, just like everyone always says, you know, they're kind of like somehow it, it's a strange process, you know, like a, a needle into like these grooves. That somehow the the music comes out magically, and and this cool. is a bigger artwork and something to hold on to and look at, and and I right. like that um, right. tangents. <laughs> hey, so let's do this. Let's let, no, it's all good. Let's um, let's jump into the song uh, "Enjoy Killing Time" and let our right. audience uh, check that out, and then we'll be right back. Let it all just 
We're back with Blake Sandberg. Tell us about Austin. Austin is definitely weird and uh, a weirdo from Austin. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, but, you know, I always love New York and there's something about it. Like, uh, I, 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 I don't know. I just feel at home here. And, and in, in Austin, I don't always feel at home. It's gotcha. a strange thing. I mean, I do feel at home there because, like, I remember being at my, my grandfather's, my grandparents' house and all that. And I have a lot of roots there, whatever. But, um and I've been back there as an adult or whatever. And actually, after 9-11, I went down there for like, well, about a year and a half. But I really wasn't there that mm. whole time because cause I, you know, kept get, I got invited, I invited to play a show up here at CBGB's and uh, so did that and uh, different things. But I know I, I had started to get treatment from a doctor there that, that kind of understood all my problems and, and was treating like not only the 9-11 stuff, but I have like chronic ear problems. He was treating that stuff. But it got me back into Austin and then... That's when I, I was having so much trouble with uh, my health problems that I had some major, major, I mean, I had pneumonia here multiple times, right? And I was in the hospital and 
by myself right. and um eventually it just <sighs> became clear i needed to to be around family and so that's why i did that i like yeah. moved, moved my studio down to, to texas and um was near family and then then everything went even further went worse with my health care uh with my health i guess mm. and then i needed more health care and and then I ended up getting that. And then after that is when I started being able to record because uh, eventually I went on tour and I recorded some songs at Sun Studios while on tour because I discovered oh, really? in the, Okay. Yeah. Uh, some of the, well, Reflex Motor was recorded at Sun Studios. Hey, Blake, sorry to cut you off, but it's time for a quick break. And we've got so much more to discover when we come right back. At the Long Island Sound, we're much more than a podcast. We're building a community. Please go to gigdestiny.com, check out all our social media links, subscribe wherever you listen to the podcast, please comment, call the listener line, tell us what you think, what questions we should ask, who we should have on the show, and most of all, we thank you for your generous support, and remember, support the artists who are guests on the show. Now back to the podcast. Hey, everybody, we're back with Blake, and it's been a very interesting ride. Uh, I'm getting quite an education, uh, which is great. I love new discovery. Uh, I love the underground aspect of things and the trading of songs and, and uh, EPs and vinyl, and uh, it's pretty cool. You know, it's what was what I used to do in the past, buying a an album of vinyl, you know, at Pergaments in Levittown and playing it till I uh, till the needle fell off you know type of thing so i'm glad you're into vinyl yeah so what do you got going tell me what's coming up in the next few months where you're planning on playing and we're playing our last show of the year on friday december 2nd at littlefield which is a really great uh arts and event center uh in gowanus actually um it's on sackett uh and third avenue and uh it's our first time playing there. It should be a really great show. It'll be our Agoraphonic EP release party. And uh, a band called Eat is playing with us, another local punk band. And we'll have uh, another band or two uh, with us as well. Uh, that'll be announced shortly. And it should be a really great show. You can get tickets on Eventbrite and at... Uh, Littlefield's website. We have it linked in our Instagram as well. Um, our Instagram is at AliensNYC. Excellent. So the website is AliensNewYork, New York spelled out, dot com. We'll also list uh, your events on uh, the gigdestiny.com site under live events. All our guests, we we list what they're doing, what they're doing there. I tell you, it's been a wild ride just listening to your music and listening to your story. Um, Blake, it's, it, I really appreciate you. You it's spending time on the podcast with me. And, uh, now I've got like, you know, 14 hours worth of homework. Cause I have to look up everybody you mentioned on the damn thing. <laughs> Not at all. No. <laughs> no, 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 I'm going to, I'm going to do the best, the best I can. And, and it's great to, to get a, no, it, honestly, it's great to get a peek into the into this world, and and it's 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 an interesting world. So uh, uh, you're already successful. So, but I wish you I wish you much success both in in the artwork that you do, and and your music. Um, it's really been a pleasure, and I look forward to having you back someday and uh, continuing our conversation. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, thanks for having me, and uh, you know, thanks for for listening. 
and uh, you know, it's a privilege for me as well. All right, brother. Thank you for joining us today. I appreciate the time you spent with us. Please subscribe and comment and visit us at gigdestiny.com. Till next time, be generous with your joy, keep your spirits high, and let the music take you on a journey. Be well. Peace. Thanks so much for listening. Please rate, review, and comment on the show. We really love to hear from you. And call our listener line at 631-800-3579. Again, thanks so much. Be well.